Hoi, Keisan, and hello. Welcome to Nordic Insights, where I introduce you to high-achieving Nordics and Nordic-inspired people with niche expertise in business, lifestyle, education, innovation, tech, travel, and more. I'm your host, Satu Raunola, a Finn passionate about all things Nordic, as well as yoga, running, sustainability, well-being, and great coffee. Listen in for some tips on Nordic approaches to a happier and more holistic business and personal life. Join me to explore Nordic common sense and trends in this complex world. This podcast is delivered to you every Wednesday. What is it like to live in New York as a Nordic in the middle of covid and Black Lives Matter demonstrations working for an airline industry that has just been paralyzed. It sounds very challenging. However, Director of Communications for North America for Norwegian Air, Swedish-born Anders Lindström, has turned these challenges into an opportunity. In March 2020, he initiated the non-profit Project Wingman USA mobilizing hundreds of airline crews to provide care for COVID hospital healthcare workers in New York City hospitals. Anders has launched various award-winning initiatives during his very successful career as a PR and communications professional working for an aviation industry. He is one of the most prominent airline spokespeople in the US, frequently appearing in mainstream media including Forbes, Bloomberg, CNN, Reuters, travel and leisure, US Today, and so on. He's always very positive, optimistic, and very driven. And my dear friend, here is Anders Lindström. Good Anders. Welcome. Thank you. Lovely to have you here all the way from New York. Now, first, of course, we are very curious about what is it to live in New York at the moment during the COVID-19 It's been surreal, to say the least. The city that never sleeps has been uh, napping for quite a quite a few months, and it's slowly rebuilding itself. This week, it's um, the so-called phase three opening, and um, so massage places, for instance, are open this week. It was meant to be indoor dining was meant to open this week, but that's been postponed as a result of the increasing numbers of COVID cases in the rest of the states where. They allowed indoor dining. So outdoor dining on the curbside um, has been allowed for the past two weeks. So it's different faces opening the city up. But it's been very, very bizarre and surreal. It's been uh, on lockdown. And then uh, besides the quarantine, there was also the lockdown for a week uh, because of the uh, protests happening uh, about a month and a half ago. So it's been a very, very different New York. And then, of course, the protests, as you mentioned. So U.S. and the whole America is just in turmoil. How do you see that in now in your everyday life? I mean, you see it here because there's protests on a weekly uh, weekly basis. And I have friends going uh, in the protests. I have not been in one myself because I, I was moving so and also working on a non-profit. But um, I'm hoping to join one as well. It's uh, a very important cause and... Being a white Scandinavian, white Nordic, living here now, you see how in how unequal and 
socially in injustice in this country is. It's it's very different from the um, what we grew up with back home in the Nordics. Uh, you know, everything we believe in. It it is very different here, sadly. Yeah, let's talk about your project Wingman, which is an amazing project that you started a few months ago. So, can you tell us a bit how did you actually get it started? Absolutely. So, um, working for an airline, Norwegian Air, and I've been in airlines for the past ten years. This industry has obviously been hit in unprecedented ways in the last couple of months with COVID, and a lot of our colleagues have been furloughed. A lot of Uh, planes, airlines have been grounded. So it was a female captain, uh, Emma Henderson, with EasyJet in the UK, who came up with the idea of Project Wingman. And what it does is mobilizes furloughed airline crew uh, and help them support frontline healthcare professionals during the time when there's in such need, and and support them by creating these somewhat pop-up lounges in the hospitals. And so you, I mean. Obviously, healthcare professionals are extremely affected during COVID as well, but they're overworked. They hardly got a break. Um, they worked so hard; they didn't get to speak to anyone besides uh, patients or their colleagues. And when they would go home, um, they didn't really get to see their families because they kind of had um, had to self quarantine. So it was a lot of emotional pressure on them. So the whole idea of then uh, Project Women and the lounges was to for uh, for them to come somewhere. And to relax and be taken care of, even if it's just for a few minutes. Um, and then you have airline crew, and as hopefully most people know, airline crew are some of the most um, nurturing people who just want to help no matter what. And especially now when they were furloughed and grounded and not able to fly, they sat at home and were bored. So when this opportunity came um, in the UK, for instance, they had uh, thousands of volunteers signing up, wanting to help. And here in the US. Uh, we had hundreds of volunteers coming from all the major airlines based in in New York City. So I heard from it, uh, from uh, my colleague um, counterpart in the UK about this project, and I was doing some research to see if anyone was doing something similar here in the US. Sadly, not. So I contacted Emma Henderson, and the founder, and asked if I could bring it to the US. So we launched about a month after they opened their very first lounge in. The UK. We opened our two lounges here in the US, and it's a very different healthcare system in the US compared well compared to anywhere in the world, and especially to the Nordics where we come from, but also to the UK. So the the one thing that was very important to identify here was an, uh, a not for profit hospital. Um, so we did um, identify two hospitals, not for profit hospitals in Queens, New York. City, which is one of the most affected areas, and this all happened in late April, early May. So it was the height of COVID here, and so we had them for almost two months. We closed the lounges down just the other week, and it felt great to close them down because there were record low uh, numbers of COVID patients. Because New York City has been doing really well with the quarantine, whereas numbers in the US are high. Numbers here in New York City have, have really come down in the last few weeks. So. The, there were very few COVID patients in the hospitals. They were able to return to their normal operations, and a lot of the previously furloughed crew was starting to go back in the air. So that's when we decided to to close it for now, and then and have it as a potential future volunteer organization in case of any other uh, future pandemic or any future emergency.
That sounds absolutely fantastic project, and what a good news that um, you know things are actually moving uh, towards more positive, and the cases are down. So, what did the project bring you, and what did you learn from the project? Oh, I I learned a lot because I where while I've been working a lot with the corporate social responsibility in in the three airlines I worked for in the past ten years. It's very different from launching overnight a, a nonprofit and being in charge of fundraising and, and volunteer uh, volunteer coordinating. I learned a lot, and but I was also very fortunate having a lot of good people helping me out. But it's it what was most rewarding was to see how many people want to come together in a crisis like this and just want to help. They are so selfless um, and. and because it takes a lot still, because these lounges were in hospitals, in COVID hospitals. And if you watch the news, and especially American news, because it's always a bit over the top no matter what, it's the worst place in the world you, you can go to, of course. But these were the volunteers that were fearless. They came in obviously wearing face masks. There were um, hand sanitizers everywhere, everything following the rules and regulations. But still, it, it takes a, a certain kind of people who run towards an opportunity like that. And learn otherwise, I mean, just the budgeting was a big thing for me because suddenly I was in, in charge of um, all this money that was coming in through various GoFundMe campaigns and also donations coming in. And, and that's an aspect I have never really been responsible uh, for before. And so what actually happened in the laundries? So we had, um, usually we had three volunteers in each lounge and we tried to have volunteers from uh, three different airlines at all times. So they would kind of network themselves and, and get to know other people from other airlines as well. And then we had donations from all these different com- uh, companies who wanted, who provided us everything from tea and coffee to protein bars, uh, chocolate mousses. We had fruit cups. We had lots of cookies because everyone loves cookies. And in total, we had more than 50,000 items donated uh, to these two lounges, which is just... Uh, staggering amount of, of donations that sounds absolutely amazing and also have to acknowledge the people who you got involved that because it of course involves such a big risk so congratulations doing an amazing job thank you thank you and what was so great that not a single volunteer left the project who they, they felt very safe and, and always came back so that was great. that's great and you also get amazing press coverage of course for for this project we did. I mean, my background is in PR, so that was, that was uh, one thing I had to make sure uh, we could do. Um, so, yeah, we, we got um, in, in lots of the major publications here in New York, but also Forbes. Uh, I mean, there was a um, travel and leisure. Most of the major publications covered it, so that was great. Great. Let's talk about how you actually ended up to New York. So I've, I've dreamt about living in New York probably my entire life. My... Uh, aunt, my mom's sister, moved to the U.S. more than, I think it's 55 years ago now, or more than 50 years ago. So I had had my two cousins growing up here in the U.S. and always been a bit uh, jealous of them uh, when I grew up because I always heard about everything happening in the U.S. So um, I always thought I would end up in in the U.S. in New York at some stage, but kind of went via England and and Australia for the first 30-something years. And um, I was employed uh, at SAS Scandinavian Airlines in Stockholm, where I was the uh, PR director for quite a few years. And SAS wasn't doing too well at the time, and I was made redundant. 
which was one of the best things that could ever happen. I always say that the best thing ever happened to my career was to be uh, hired by SAS, and the second best thing was to um, be made redundant because I was, had been there for <laughs> um, five years and I had loved it, but things have changed. And, and financially, the company wasn't doing very well, so there was not much of a PR budget left, which is, makes things very difficult. And I got a very good um, contract to leave, and I remember looking at that in that meeting when I looked at the paper, what they were offering, and I immediately thought, I am moving to New York. I have no excuse. I have lots of time to figure things out. I don't have to worry about money. It's now or never. So I went to New York um, and met with immigration lawyers to see if I could come into the country. And also the, the amazing benefit I had or opportunity was I could go to New York and just check it out. I knew I loved the city, but it's one thing visiting a city and actually living there. So I got to kind of live here. So I went to some apartments and I lived here for a couple of months and I, I realized this is where I want to be. And then I applied for some jobs and I got an offer from JetBlue, who then also sponsored my visa. Uh, and that's how New York all came about. You worked as a PR comms person uh, at the JetBlue Yep, so I was there for two years, and then um, I moved to Norwegian. Norwegian was uh, opening an office, and I heard about it, and I contacted them and said, hey, you need to hire me. <laughs> um, I, have the, I mean, I had the airline background, and I was a Scandinavian in New York City, and I knew their brand very well, so I thought, this is just the perfect match, and luckily they agreed. How is it to start a life in your career in as a, as a Nordic person, uh, uh, like in America, which are very different worlds? Oh yes, uh, and I mean this was the my four, this is my fourth country uh, I live in. So I've I've started over a few times before, and I was lucky when I moved here that I knew people. Actually, quite a few people from Sydney ended up here uh, ten fifteen years later, so that helped. But as you say, yes, it is a different world being a Scandinavian or a Nordic person in America. And I felt it was easier to to be a foreigner in Australia because it's more similar culture and mindset in many, many ways. Even though Australia and Scandinavia and Nordic, uh, the Nordic region are two complete opposites of the world and America is so much closer. But it's, it is a different mindset. And I, I struggled quite a bit working for an American company because it is a different approach um, in many, many ways. Give me some examples. One thing I love about the Nordic um, business culture is that we don't have a hierarchy. And I know your previous guest had mentioned that as well. And, and, but it really does make a difference. And in America, you're, everything is a corporate hierarchy. And that's something that was very surprised with in the beginning, because I was used to working directly with CEOs and and just emailing them, or especially if you needed something for a press release, for instance, or, or just their comments or anything. And I asked for something, and I said, I need to speak to the CEO. And they go, you, you, you can't do that. That has to go through that person and that person, and then they get back to you. And that was a whole new approach for me, and also very, very inefficient. Yeah, we'll take we'll make things so much more complicated if you have to if you have to use a lot of people to get one person. Yeah, and another thing I really missed um, is the directness and, and open dialogue you have uh, in the Nordic business culture as well. Because you here in the U.S., if you criticize a project, for instance, 
people take it personally. And that's not how, if you're, especially as a Swede, you're meant to have a dialogue about things. We, we very much want democracy in, in, the, in the office as well, but you can, you can comment on something and, and it doesn't mean anything personal to the person who is in charge of the project or whatever. And that was uh, an eye-opener for as well. So when I left JetBlue and, and moved to Norwegian, I brought one of my favorite colleagues with me. I was lucky to bring her. And one thing I loved about her, she was very creative, very opinionated, had lots of great ideas. And she came to Norway with me the first week um, we started. And when we were on the plane back, she, was, she turned to me and said, I love how you guys work in Scandinavia because she, she felt that she could say whatever she wanted and nobody would be offended because it wasn't offensive in any way. She was just asking things or questioning things so she could better understand it or improve things. But as you said, in, in the American mindset, you can't do that. People get very easily offended. And I was told once that um, I was reminded that I was not in a European uh, company, that I had to um, hold back on my directness. And I'm not that direct <laughs> any, to begin with. But I was, you know, I was told by this person that reminded me, you're an American now, you have to sugarcoat everything you say. And I thought that's, that's really not the ideal way to work for anyone. I have got myself in trouble so many times for both professionally and personally with being direct. Of course, uh, experience has shown that you need to have cross-cultural understanding today when you operate in this global community. But it just makes things so much more easier when you can be direct. And of course, many times, you know, in a right way, critical uh, feedback. But the whole idea is that the common issue, we can we, we improve something. And, and that's why I think, in, in, at least back home, you hire people because you want to hear their opinions. So here... In America, you hire people, but then you want them to agree with you. And, and that's very different. I so agree with that. If you hire people like yourself, it will not bring progress. Hierarchy often don't encourage free thinking. It is a lot about fear. And uh, leaders who have people who like themselves do not want to be challenged. So it's uh, many times a big ego thing. New York is a pretty unique place in the world, especially, of course, pre-COVID. But what's happening there now? Pre-COVID, one thing I love about New York is that there's everything. You can do anything and everything here. And it's open 24-7, even though you know, I'm, not, I'm not up 24-7 at all these days. But um, I love the culture here. I, I go to the theater at least once a month. There's so many places, amazing place with the most fantastic talents you get you can sit on second or third row for affordable prices and see somebody you've seen in movies for most of your life. So having that access, great museums, great restaurants, and also the um, even though it is such a concrete city, there's a lot of green here. And I mean, I bike a lot, so um, there's so many nice bike paths um, and parks that you don't always know about as a tourist. So I love the city, and I love. I realized actually during COVID. I loved it even more because even though I didn't get to be social as much, I got to be outside a lot because I was trying to go for a walk every day or a bike ride to do something to keep myself busy. 
and it's greener than ever because it's been left untouched for a couple of months. You can hear birds differently, which you usually don't. So, um, but with New York, I think I always say I love New York, but to keep sane in the city, you also need to go. You have to leave it every now and then and go on trips because um, you appreciate it more when you you go away for a while. Yeah, absolutely. And one thing that I, when I've been visiting New York, I love are the New Yorkers. I think they're crazy, mad, delightful, funny, you know, and also difficult people. And you can have very funny experiences just going to visit a shop or, you know, talking to somebody on the street. Yeah, and I, I totally agree. But I, and one thing I do love, I mean, I lived in London, I live in Sydney and Stockholm. I mean, they've all been international city, but there's no global city on this planet like New York City. And New York City is not America. I mean, it's obviously in America, but it's not America. It's so diverse. And that's what sets it apart. And that's what New Yorkers really love and appreciate about their city as well. Yeah, that's right. You're so right that New York is not America. So what is it to to work outside New York? Uh, is the culture very different if you if you go to other cities or more, you know, regional areas it is indeed uh, and i mean in some states luckily i don't work in those states it's almost frowned upon being from new york because um, it's considered to be too progressive it's a it's a fascinating country because obviously it's so huge it's hard to stereotype it or generalize it because it's like taking all of europe for instance and you have some parts that are extremely progressive um, northeast and the west coast and then you have some very conservative parts in the middle But luckily, I work, so I do travel a lot to um, Chicago, Denver, San Francisco, L.A., Florida, Austin. And in those places, I, I, I deal with people who work in tourism. So they're, they've been around. They are a very international mindset. They have to be because it's all about bringing international travelers to those regions or, or cities. So I, fortunately, I'm, I'm lucky to work with very similarly thinking people. Your professional life in New York looks pretty fantastic with Norwegian and I see you all the time in the media and social media, meeting a lot of famous people and attending a lot of uh, fun events. Uh, of course, looks very glamorous, but I do know that it is also a lot of hard work, but must be a lot of fun. Well, that's what social media is all about. Uh, <laughs> Um, yeah, I have to do some PR for myself as well. But no, it's it's a lot of fun. Um, and because so I am the PR director for Norwegian here in the in the North US. Uh, sorry, in, in North America. And because we don't have um, any topics like in the country or, or rarely coming to the country, I am the I would almost say the face, but it's me um, who have to go and do. TV uh, appearances or speak to the media. So that, that's the fun part of the job, I have to say. Yeah, that uh, looks and sounds really fabulous. It, it's been, I'm sure, very challenging to establish yourself and and start PR for something like Norwegian that didn't have very big profile in in US before that. So how do you get it started? Because... First of all, contacting media in America would be very challenging to get access to the main media. Absolutely. So, and that's kind of with my job at JetBlue two years prior to joining Norwegian. It was a step down in terms of my role, but the way I looked at it was an investment in myself as in 
getting in the right contacts because I did not have the network when I moved here. But two years at JetBlue, I got the most amazing uh, network of media contacts. So when I joined JetBlue, uh, sorry, when I left JetBlue for Norwegian two years later, I brought all that with me. So I'd kind of established the, the ground um, base, so to say. But when, when I set up the office for Norwegian, people thought it was Norwegian Cruise Line and that they suddenly had an airline, which is obviously not the case. We have nothing to do with Norwegian Cruise Line because they, they're not even Norwegian. And they thought that when we were talking about nonstop flights from New York to Paris or to London, they thought, okay, nonstop via Oslo because it's Norway. So th those were some challenges we had to spend a lot of time with the first couple of years. But it was, that was an exciting challenge as well because at the time we were the world's fastest growing airline. And we became very quickly, I think it, in within three years, we became the largest European airline in terms of routes to the U.S. And of last year, or even, yeah, last year, uh, early last year, we became the largest foreign airline in New York City. We even overtook Air Canada uh, in terms of bringing the most international uh, passengers. So it, it's been a, a, an incredible journey. Um, and that's luckily has also meant that the media has been very interested in us. And then you have somebody like the founder, Bjorn Schuus, who was the CEO until last year. So whenever he came to the U.S., media really wanted to meet with him and talk to him. So I was blessed in that sense that it was, there were some challenges, but a lot of fun and a lot of interest from the media in, in Norwegian. Yeah, so you had a great product and great opportunity, great timing. So that sounds very interesting. I'm sure you learned a lot. What, what do you think now will be going on with uh, aviation and tourism industry and how do we now adapt to this new normal, which is COVID? So it's, I mean, there's so many question marks, especially here in the US. And US is very different to what's been happening in Europe because in Europe, the airlines were very quick to ground almost their entire fleets, furlough their staff. Whereas in the US, it kind of did the opposite. The, the government said, you're only going to get money from the government if you keep on flying and keep all your employees. So they have a deadline in September when they can start letting go of people. So it's kind of in very two very different directions. And if we look at uh, Norwegian, for instance, we, we flew um, seven, eight planes uh, compared to 170 planes almost for, for, for two, three months. And la well, last week we started... Um, increasing flights again, launching or relaunching a uh, number of flights within Europe. And now we're looking at, looking at identifying when is the right time to resume long-haul service. Because as of, as of now, no one is allowed to come into America. And Americans are not allowed to enter Europe. So it's become a, almost a political game. And with this president that's in this country, he's not going to bulge. Um, so who knows what's going to happen. But we're hoping that by the end of this year, things will look very different and, and people will be able to travel again. Yes, well, some positive developments definitely has been, have been happening here too, you know, domestically in Australia, which is very positive. And of course, within Europe also now there are more airlines started, uh, started flying back. So that's really good news. One thing I always ask people that I interview is that, What's the contribution that you have brought into your community? So obviously you have you have brought a lot, just not during these past months, but also previously. You've always been very dedicated to serving the communities in different ways. So can you give a few examples what you have previously done also? 
Absolutely. So diversity has, has been very important for me in, in the career. Diversity and inclusion, and that can mean many, many different things. And for the longest time, diversity was pretty much just the LGBTQ community. And within that, it was very much the gay man and the white gay man. And that was considered diversity, and that was not so diverse if you really look at the bigger picture. So at Norwegian, about two, three years ago, we really started to focus on travelers of color because that's a surprisingly ignored market here in the U.S. Even though the uh, black travel market is worth, I think it's 70 billion a year. That's a significant figure, of course. But no company's really been um, going after that audience. So that's something we started looking at doing and focusing on. And... Um, we really started supporting black influencers, black travel writers, and last year um, we hosted what we believe was the first all-black travel influencer trip to Stockholm, which I had the pleasure of hosting. And we, a few months after that, we also hosted the what we, again, believe was the first Asian-American uh, influencer trip that we did to Amsterdam, oh, sorry, to Holland and uh, Rotterdam. So that's something we've been very focused on, and we were we received an award last year um, for being an ally in the industry, which is again so rare. And now, especially what's what's going on with Black Lives Matters um, in the last couple of months as well, it's 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 very positive to see a lot of brands waking up and committing. But it's surprising they they did not do that until this what's happening right now. It should have happened a long time ago. So there's progress, positive, um, positive, moving in a positive way, but it's still a few steps behind. So that's something we're focusing on um, and something to look, we'll be uh, doing more. I actually got an invitation today to sit on a panel to discuss um, what allies can do in the travel industry for just specifically for travelers of color that's happening on August 1st as well. So there's a lot to do still. Oh, that sounds really interesting. What do you think you as a as a Nordic, and what are the features that you think are typical Nordic, and what the values that you have brought into the world, and compared to other cultures? I sometimes laugh at myself, realizing how Swedish I am. Sometimes good and bad, of course, but I I do believe some a very Nordic trait is the equality issue, which has always been very important to, to me, that we believe everyone is equal. Everyone should have the same uh, rights and chances. Um, and I think that's extremely important to me in, in every aspect of what I do, but also including my staff in terms of not having a hierarchy, they, you know, empowering them to feel they can reach out to whoever in the company. It doesn't have to go through me, for instance. So I think that's, that's very important and, and very Nordic, and the whole thing, as we said, talked about before, directness and open, having that open dialogue. I'm very direct at times, but also knowing when to dial it down a little. So you kind of try to assess your audience and, and try to approach them in the right way. I think that's a very Nordic thing as well. How did your staff react to that? Because most of your staff, I assume, are, are U.S. They they are, and it took them a little while um, because in America you used to a lot of micromanaging, which is I, I hate. And I, I, if somebody tries to micromanage me, I know I wouldn't be able to deliver much because it's it just doesn't inspire me, motivate me at all. So it, it took some time, but I also was very open about that and, and letting them know they work now for 
a Norwegian slash Scandinavian company, and this is how everyone will do. They've been hired because we want their input. We want them to be free thinkers, so to say, and think for themselves. So it, it took a few weeks, but then they really appreciate it. And also you get a freedom with that. So they thrive. Uh, hopefully they feel they thrive, um, which is very important because that's how you become more creative. And creativity is key in our field. So most of your staff would embrace the, that approach? Yes, but also luckily, so um, before COVID, I had uh, two people in my team. One is Greek-American and one is Korean-American. So they had a bit of an international mindset to begin with. But yeah, it's, um, it's been um, appreciated for sure. How about media? They like the, uh, especially if you look at media, I'm very open, even though I, I mean PR and people have some uh, different ideas of what that can mean sometimes. I've always been very important with being honest and transparent. And I think that's something that the media here is appreciated because I will tell them if it's off the record, they will respect that. But that also means you can have that open dialogue. So it's been really rewarding and really great um, working with the US media. Great. Nice to hear. So is your future still going to be in New York? Oh, yes. I, I mean, I, I absolutely love the city. I don't think I'll be here forever. I always thought I'll go back to Australia one day. My, my dream was still uh, Australian-Swedish dual citizenship. But who knows what happens? I, I mean, I love Sydney and I'm very happy and content in a even more, even happier and more content than usually uh, when I'm down there. But um, yeah. We'll, we'll see. I'm just, I have to go with the flow, especially in these times where you have to be very, very flexible. Now, so your future will be in New York and hope you will come and see us in Sydney very soon when the waters are open again. And also we, we can also fly out from Australia. But uh, it's been really wonderful to talk to you and we wish you please be safe and all the best of luck and success for your future in the world. Thank you. And thank you so much for having me on. So nice to catch up. Don't forget to hit subscribe so you don't miss any episodes. And if you enjoyed this podcast, I would appreciate if you would leave a quick rating and review. You can also find Nordic Insights on Facebook and Instagram. Thank you for listening. Voi hyvin, hade sopra, take care.